What's going on, family? What's going on? What's going down? What's shaking? Welcome to Jonathan Souls Podcast. <laughs> this is Jonathan Souls speaking with you now. I got the honor and privilege of speaking to a visionary, somebody who uh, is looking at some some historical wrongs, some epic problems, and coming up with uh, some beautiful, clever, science fictional uh, ways of solving them. And he doesn't mind talking about politics. I'm talking about Charles Conyers Jr. What's going on with you, brother? Hello, Mr. Soul. Thank you for having me. That's quite an intro. I hope yeah. I live up to it. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, no problem, no problem. I was looking at, uh, you know, the the book, and I read a few, you know, first couple of chapters or whatever, and I was like, the premise is awesome. So, folk who don't know, uh, we're talking about uh, the Maximilian uh, Emancipation by Charles A. Conyers Jr. So tell me, why did you start writing? I mean, is that your profession? Uh, you sound more like a scholarly person. Uh, thank you very much. I will, um, uh, I'm going to take that sound bite and loop it, and that's going to be my new ringtone. <laughs> uh, you sound like a scholarly person. That's great. Um, I am, uh, by trade, my, my day job, so to speak, I'm a filmmaker, uh, Currently, I'm an executive producer for a company named Healthy Nation, wow. and uh, for the last uh, several years, I've been um, working with these guys to try to do the impossible, which is make health and health care and health education a sexy thing for people to want to be engaged in and watch and, and, and uh, pay attention to. You know, it's close to my heart going back to my dad because... You know, he, you know, his illness was preventable, but he just did not pay attention, was not very mindful of his health. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's a, it's a bummer that, um, that he let that get away from him. So I, you know, I like the idea of trying to help people, you know, make, make health not a scary thing, but something that you really want to know about. Okay. So that's my day job. So as far as, this novel is concerned. I was, I was telling you earlier, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing. Um, nine years ago was when I started writing this book. And if you told me any time before then that I was going to write a novel, I would have told you were insane. Mm -hmm. I'm not a novelist at all. I, um, I'm a film guy. I went to film school, um, went to a school called New Jersey city university, studied film there. Um, and, you know, I'm, you know, I love telling stories, you know, I love, you know, Robert McKee's story is one of those, the book that I read when that came out back in the day, because okay. I really love filmic storytelling. And, and um, you know, it, it's always something that spoke to me, you know, there's this recently is the 40th anniversary of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which believe it or not, is a bit of an influence on the Maximilian Emancipation. Okay. Um, you know, that's, you know, I just love that the way that story unfolds and the way the mystery unfolds, you know, that really spoke to me. And, and, and trying to find a way to tell that story to, to, in a very, you know, entertaining way, you know, that's something I learned a lot about from filmmaking. So okay. when I decided to write a novel, it was literally just, you know, you know what, you know, I, God, I think I was like 38 years old. You know, I have, uh, you know, I had a, my daughter at that point, she was maybe two or three years old. Mm -hmm. no. Um, I was kind of in like a career transition, didn't know if I was still wanting to do what I was doing at the time. 
And I just said, you know what, you know, F it. You know, I'm, I'll try this. I, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if I'm going to make anything out of it. But I've had this story in my head since, since high school, since I was in high school. Wow. So I had to get it out. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. you know, it was driving me nuts. It was just like this, this thing in my head that just kept coming up and coming up and coming up. And yeah. So it's, it's something to, you know, after releasing it, I guess about three months ago mm-hmm. at this point from now, it's something I can't believe it's finally done. Um, wow. I'm not, I, you can't, can't dwell on it too much because I've got the second book to write. So gotcha, gotcha, it's gotcha. Just like, yeah, it's great. It's out, but next book. Now the premise, the premise is what intrigued me. You know what I mean? The premise is what intrigued me. So, you know, can you kind of go over a little bit about the premise? Sure, absolutely. Um, I could talk about a little bit about how I came to the premise. Okay. Um, right. You know, when I was, I grew up in, the, I was born in 1972, I grew up in the 80s. Okay. Um, I was going to, uh, we, my parents had moved to, we, I was born in Philadelphia. My parents moved to this suburb in New Jersey called Mount Laurel, New Jersey. And, um, it was, you know, it's predominantly white suburb. And I was one of a few black kids. There was like maybe one or two Asian kids, a couple of Indian kids, but that was it. It was predominantly white. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, growing up in a predominantly white, I mean, pretty much throughout my adolescence, all the way up through high school, um, you know, it, it gives you, especially this is like in the 80s. So, you know, there was a special perspective that I had on race at that time. You know, it's it's um, it's a funny thing that um, we look back on it now, how controversial something like, um, I mean, before all the nonsense, but the Cosby show mm-hmm. was controversial, not for what it's controversial for now, but back right. then the argument was, well, it's a black doctor and a black lawyer and they get married and how can that happen? Yeah, exactly. people, I heard, I actually heard people say that nonsense mm-hmm. and it was just like, it was silly. Yeah. But, um, around that time, the mid eighties or so, there's a documentary series called the eyes on the prize came out mm-hmm. and it was about basically, if you don't know, if, if your viewers don't know what or your listeners don't know, it's a, uh, about the civil rights movement. And it was a very, it was a very visceral thing back then. It, you know, brought in a lot of the footage from the, you know, black and white footage, I guess mm-hmm. that people hadn't seen in a while. And, and, um, you know, it's something when you're watching that, in you're like the sole black person in a sea of white people watching this stuff happen on television and then having to discuss it mm-hmm. and hearing people talk about it. <laughs> it was just, you know, it, it, it's something it, it's, um, you know, how that mentality has carried through centuries in this country. And it's dulled down absolutely over the, over the centuries, but it's still pretty much there how black folks are not really, uh, you know, we're not looked at or seen as individuals. We're seen kind of as, as things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, you know, that's pretty much where the, that's pretty much where white supremacy or the idea of the white supremacy myth comes from. The mm-hmm. only way that that myth is validated is that you dehumanize everybody else. Yeah. And, you know, 
ask around, I don't think anyone's willing to dehumanize themselves or, or co-opt that men, that ideology. You know, so it really doesn't work. So those kinds of stuff, that's the kind of stuff like, you know, like 10, 11, 12, 13, that's the kind of crap that I was thinking about. Wow. And, um, now, you know, did you have around, discussions? Did you have discussions around a dinner table with mom and dad around this, oh, or was this stuff that you were just kind of milling over in your head? I mean, that's pretty oh, deep no. for for a thirteen year old. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, this will, uh, I'm, I'll tell the story as quickly as possible. Uh, we went to Disney World. We took a car trip. A group of us, uh, my family, uh, a couple of um, it was me, my brother, my mother, my dad couple of cousins, a couple of uncles, aunts, that kind of thing. We just big caravan down to uh, to uh, Florida. We stopped in Georgia at one point, drove down to Florida, did Disney World. It was fun. Came back, had a good time. Then this Eyes on the Prize show comes out. We're watching that. And then I came home um, and was talking to my mother. Mother's making dinner or something in the kitchen. I said, you know, we're watching this Eyes on the Prize series. And, you know, boy, you know, I'm glad we don't live in that anymore. And she kind of looked at me, gave me this look, and she said, uh, no, we're still living in this. And, wow, and I said, okay. well, I, I say, I don't, what, what do you mean? She said, remember when we went down to Florida? And I said, yeah. And she said, remember we stopped in Georgia at one point? I said, yeah. When we stopped in Georgia, we went to go, we were staying in a hotel, we went to go swimming at the pool. And I, rem- I remember it like it was yesterday, but I didn't remember it the way my mother remembered it. Mm-hmm. I remember going in, the pool was packed, um, and my dad wanted to teach me how to swim, and you know, I was horrified of water, and my dad tried to teach me, I freaked out and started crying, and then they took me out of the pool. I remember an old couple sitting there, an old white couple sitting there, and they're just like, oh, he's just not ready yet, and you know, that was it, we went up. So my mother reminds me of this, of this event, and I said, yeah, I remember that. And she says, well, do you remember that when we got to the pool, Everybody left, and I said, <laughs> "I still remember." So I think about that. I was like, "Holy shit, they did!" Yeah, they that pool cleared out. Wow! When we got there, so that was a slap in the face. Mm-hmm. That was really just like, oh, wow. It was that. It was other incidences, other things that came up. Hey, it was one kid in third grade called me a black ape. You know, mm. you know, like all kinds of crap like this. That sort of this whole idea because I never saw myself as inferior right. to white folks because I grew up with them. I knew these people. I was in their homes. I did. You know, they were just people to me. Mm-hmm. So whenever I hear you know them say silly things, it's just why is there no black history? Why is there no white history month? Why is there a black history month? There should be a white history month. I heard. Oh my God! I heard that for. I get to hear that for like a decade. Right. <laughs> People saying that nonsense, yeah. but you know, but that's just the way it is. So because they're kind of oblivious, so, you know what I mean? It's, 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 absolutely, it's, they're kind of. It's like uh, you describing wetness to a fish. It's like, what that's are you talking it. about? <laughs> that's exactly right because it doesn't affect them. Right, they're just living their lives. It's affecting them now. That's, uh-huh. that's I guess we'll get to that conversation in a moment. Uh-huh. Um, but. Um, but long story, big, big, too late for me, for me to make a long story short, but Back to the Future came out mm-hmm. in the eight, like 85 or something like that. Right. And I really thought that, I love that movie. Everybody loves Back to the Future. It's a great mm-hmm. movie. Um, but there was also this joke, 
this running joke, and they even do it in the movie a little bit, um, about, like, you know, well, if you're black, you can only go back so far, you know, because you know what'll happen. Right. And, you know, yeah, that's, and it's ha-ha-ha, it's funny, but then I started mm-hmm. thinking, well, it depends on how far you go back. Like, could you go back? What if you go back in time? What if you could stop slavery from happening? Mm. Like, what if you could, what if you could prevent all this shit from happening? Because, I, you know, that for me was, you know, the way I looked at it, like, all of this racial stuff was, like, 100% circumstantial. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it's being born in the right place at the right time and the right skin at the right time. You know, beyond that, there's no validity to it. Hmm. So how would you go about stopping that from happening? And that kind of took me on this journey, this, I guess, <laughs> 10 to 15 year journey before I actually got to writing the thing mm-hmm. um, of trying to figure out how to tell that story. And um, one of the things I thought immediately was three slave ships just out of nowhere show up on the East Coast of America between uh, New York and New Jersey, like around, like, say, from Sandy Hook, you can see, mm-hmm. and from Lower Bay, Manhattan, you can see, um, and what the world would do. Like, what, what, not even the world, but what the country would do, how the country would react. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, and it's funny now because, you know, coming up with this idea in the 80s and actually writing it in the, in the 2000s, you know, our media culture has changed. Our entire culture has changed. Yeah. You know, there was one point when I was writing this book in 2008. Uh, I wrote, it was the year that Obama was uh, became president. Wow, that's right, yeah. And yeah. I was actually thinking, you know, because I'd, I'd written the first draft by when he, when he won, and there was a part of me that was thinking, you know what, this, I, I, am, I, am I too late? This might be irrelevant now. (laughs) (laughs) Lo and behold, (laughs) right before I was released this book, I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. The zeitgeist, I hit the zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, then that's it. And then then also to see what's going on with um, HBO and their new proposed series, or not proposed, they're going to do it, the Confederate or whatever. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. The cats who uh, the showrunners for Game of Thrones. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, which uh, there was a movie uh, Spike Lee, um, I think, um, latched hold on and produced um, and put out in the world called Confederate States of America. Have you seen this? No. no. It, the last one I saw camera. was the uh, the shy the Chirac thing, which was. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, this was another filmmaker, and he kind of executive produced this movie, and it was a, it was made as a documentary that was airing in the '80s in an alternate universe where the South won the Civil War. Okay. So it's playing as a documentary, playing on television. So there are commercials between and here and there. So they do like a version of Cops, but instead of it's going after thieves, they call the show Runaways, and they're all it's like the paddy wagon going after runaways. Mm-hmm. But it's all like filmed like a cop show. Mm-hmm. It's messed up. But it, it was a it was very fun. So I saw that in the theater uh, as well. I saw it in the, here in New York. Um, uh, I was the only black person in the theater. It was a theater full of white people. Wow. I was the only one laughing. 
Okay. I guess I was the only one that thought it was funny. <laughs> and what year are we talking? This was, jeez, when did that movie come out? Late 90s, early 2000s? Okay. Recently. Right. No, it wasn't that long ago. Late nineties, the last. Let's see, back then I was looking at she, uh, she hate me. <laughs> That's Spike Lee joint. But, oh uh, my god, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right, so you you saw that, and so you're leading up to where you came up with the premise. Yeah. So, um, yeah, after coming up with the, uh, well, especially after um, Obama uh, won the election, and I started thinking the book was irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really, um, you know, coming up with the actual premise, like the plot, was the easy part. I mean, mm-hmm. that that's kind of like the hook or the 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 um, what they call it, the elevator pitch. Okay. You know, three slave ships travel through time and in, into modern day America. You know, that's you know that that's the logline. But what is that story? That mm-hmm. was the that was the hard part. That was gotcha. um, figuring out who the characters were mm-hmm. and uh, what situations they were going to be in because you can't just write the plot. Mm-hmm. You have to write the story. You have to write the character. You have to have interesting characters who um, the audience or the reader can relate to who are put into the situation and they are, you know, honestly trying to find ways to get through it. Okay. And, um, you know, that was, you know, it, it, it's, it's funny because it's kind of, um, when I look at how this whole thing plays out, that's, I call both the whole three books, the series, the world time diaspora, okay. because it is really just this, um, absolute journey, um, through time through, you know, trying to, you know, with, with, uh, people trying to find out who they are. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the first place I really started after I came up with the idea was just research. Okay, it was research into um, African tribal culture. It was uh, research into African languages. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had to figure out how to decipher the Akon calendar so that I could write the chapter points properly. Wow. Um, you know, I had to, um, I studied Native American uh, culture, you know, pre-colonial Native American, um, you know, this country, I'm going to, I'm going to screw this word up, um, Anawarakawa, okay. uh, which is the native, it, it means um, Turtle Island. Okay. Um, it's the Native American word for this country. Yeah. And there's a whole legend behind it about, you know, a woman that falls from the sky and this turtle floats up to so that the woman doesn't drown and that became the country. I'm I'm again, I'm giving a really, really quick interpretation of mm-hmm. it. I'm sure mm-hmm. other people can tell the story better. So um, let me let me interrupt you yeah. here because I, I feel sure. like you're part of a continuum okay. that I'm seeing uh throughout my interviews uh with creators like yourself. Cool. Uh and so you know, it, it, part of me is thinking like this is, for lack of a better word, this is the new hip hop, meaning this is yeah. the new uh, art form, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that African-Americans, Africans in the diaspora, because we got folk in the Caribbean I talked to, folks on the motherland, mm-hmm. you know, a brother in Canada I talked to. So Africans, period, 
That's right. I, I feel like the vibe is this. We're projecting our perfect selves, our mature selves, our free selves into the future through this sci-fi content that we're creating. The, the old hip-hop yeah. that has co-opted is just showing niggas. That's right. You know what I mean? Uh, I, you know, because of some stuff that I do, I, I've been able to see some of the, you know, the young clan, the alt right, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. All the shit that they say about us is in the hip hop lyrics. Yeah. They just, you know, this nigga, this, that, the other thing. All that shit they talk about us, all of that stuff is basically. You know, I mean, if they're not mumbling, <laughs> basically the, the the hip hop shit over a beat. That's basically what it is. And so to me, that's, it's weaponized. It's no good to us anymore. It's poison. Well, you know what? I mean, that's always been the kind of uh, the, the motivation of, of white supremacy is just the basing, you know, the so-called other. Mm-hmm. So when you so it's easy to, you know, take something typical and make that your talking point. It's mm. just, it's, it's intellectually lazy, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I think what you're saying is true. I mean, I think that, you know, we're looking at ourselves at a time in, in our history in this country where we are, we can be our unexpurgated selves. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you know, there is, you know, in a, in a, in a time where, the arts especially have been democratized mm-hmm. you know if you are a filmmaker you grab your phone you can make a movie that ends up at sundance there's those kids that made a movie called tangerine they shot it on their iphone wow. and it was the toast of sundance and it is a wonderful movie it is i love odd not 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 christmas like unintentional christmas movies okay you know, like die hard you know prometheus mm-hmm. you know stuff like that um, Tangerine is kind of like an incidental Christmas movie. It's wonderful. I love it. Tokyo and it was Godfather. all shot on an iPhone? It was all shot on an iPhone, yeah. Wow. Um, you know, there are people who are, well, what did um, Francis Ford Coppola say in the 80s? He said, one day, um, the next Mozart is going to be a little fat girl in Wisconsin who made a movie with um, equipment the size of a briefcase. Wow. And that's what's happening right now. You know what I mean? And people who haven't necessarily had the opportunity to be heard are now being heard. One of the reasons why I never wanted to write a novel was because there was no way I was going to find an agent who is going to get me a publishing deal and all that crap. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I tried doing that. I, I did. I, I wrote query letters and, um, sent them out, sent samples of the book and stuff like that. And, you know, in hindsight, I probably could have done a little better research into who I sent, query letters too, but you know, yeah, whatever you, you know, you learn as you move forward. But, mm-hmm. you know, I just knew that, you know, I wasn't going to get a book deal and I did not have the thousands of dollars it would take for me to print out a reams of books that I can leave in my basement and hope that I can sell. Right. You know, I wasn't going to do any of that. So it wasn't until maybe 2008, maybe 2009 where people started talking about the legitimacy of self-publishing and how, you know, in places like Amazon have made it possible to print like high quality paperback books and give people a place where they can put their ebook files so that it can be available to everyone. And, you know, 
that, I mean, you know, when the Kindle came out, there were a lot of people who didn't think that, you know, that would take off. Mm-hmm. The e-books would take off, they, you know, and they were like, you know, Prince never going to die. And then all of a sudden, Prince going to die, you know. <laughs> yeah. it, it, you know, they, so this, these are, this is a great time to be an artist, especially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And historically speaking, you know, that has always been a kind of easy thing for black folks to parlay into the arts, sports, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way it's always been. Back when, you know, Miles Davis was making albums and they didn't want to have black folks on the cover, so they put, like, a little white lady on it. Mm -hmm. You know, back in, you know, but they always wanted to buy our stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think that now, especially, you know, the, you know, people actually are starting to, you know, hear the term Afrofuturism and actually starting to know what it means. You know, even though that's a term that's been around. I mean, I'm an old school, you know, anybody who reads the book, uh, I'm an old, I mean, I love Earth, Wind, and Fire. That, that, mm-hmm. they, those guys are my jam. Because I'm, I'm an 80s kid, born in the 70s, 80s kid. So yeah. um, they play, a, they play, actually, they, um, um, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire plays an important part in the story, actually, in all three books. Wow. Um, because, I mean, I would stare... At those album covers forever, you know, mm. um, and the one thing, there's one image that um, I actually replicate in the book, spoilers, um, <laughs> if you know the um, Earth, Wind & Fire album called I Am, there's a song called In the Stone, it's one of their most famous songs that comes, that's how the, the album opens, and you know, it's like big horns in the beginning, this great fanfare, it's a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. Um, but the back cover... Um, is this amazing image of this, you know, this, you know, fire coming out of these African ruins and there's this mighty Nubian army marching forward and, mm. you know, and they're, they're flying their flags and holding their weapons and it's very strong and bold. And in the background, you see like flying saucers floating above it. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, that just spoke to me, you know, and I love that image. And that, Pretty much, that's the one thing when I was writing this book, I've got to work that into this book. I don't know how I'm going to do it, mm-hmm. but I've got to work that into that book. And so, I, so I did. I forgot, I forgot what chapter it is, but it's, it's, it's in the book. You know, we're that, moving um, into a time where I can foresee, you know, like books being banned. Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, maybe. And, uh, and I'm not trying. To, I'm not people. even trying to be an alarmist because you know they won't let certain books in the in the libraries, y- right. y- you know, uh, things like that. I mean, well, that's what the free market exists for. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I mean, yeah, you can. Yeah, you don't have to play. You don't have to have it in your little library, but we can have it over here where people can still have access to it. I don't think that they're going to truly ban everything. You know, that's. I mean, it's just. I mean, I don't think we're going to have any more two live crews. And even back then, you know, you could still buy that album, even though there were some record sellers that didn't want to buy it. You could still yeah. buy that album. So we're not, you know, America's not there yet. I know that, you know, we're all freaking out um, with the way things are right now. And rightly so, because none of this crap is normal. It, it, mm-hmm. None of it's good. So, you know, but, you know, I've I've been telling people that everybody in my life is is freaking out. I've been telling people, you know, look, 
at the end of the day, when the system is uncorrupted, the system works. And, you know, and it, and it's proven and it's, it's shown that over the years, especially when it comes to things like police brutality. And, you know, you can see where the system is corrupted mm-hmm. and where it does not work. And then you can see where the system works and people are brought to justice. And unfortunately, we still have a lot of people in our system that are corrupting it. So, you know, hmm. hopefully, you know, we've, we've just got to be more engaged. People have to be more engaged. And, you know, stuff like science fiction, I think, is really good at kind of like in a roundabout way bringing attention to all these issues. This is what Ray Bradbury did with Star Trek, for example. I mean, mm-hmm. that was just so... You know, uh, you know, in the 60s, it was kind of like a roundabout way to talk about racial issues and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, where you couldn't do it outright without starting a stir or creating controversy or something like that. But, you know, I, but I, you know, I agree with you. I, I think that there's something in the air, but as they say, and um, it's only, we're only going to get more of that. You yeah. know what I mean? It's only good. The voices are only going to get louder you know, you know, people are, you know, one of the things that I've been, I was saying to people about this whole Confederate thing, a lot of people are upset about it and um, about the idea. And you're talking about the Confederate know, TV show, HBO, Game of Thrones. That's people, right? right. Okay. Uh-huh. That's right. And, you know, one of the things I try to tell people, look, yeah, it, yeah the idea. Is shit. I mean, and I don't want to take anything away from what they're doing. As a creator, as a, as an artist, as a writer, you know, you know, I don't I don't want people judging anything that I do before they've even seen it. Um, I just know from my standpoint, hearing the premise of the show, that I wouldn't know how to write that show because there's a lot of things logistically that just don't make sense to me. But one of the things that I say to people because there are a lot of people pouring energy into trying to get the show. Get canceled or, or, you know, trying to get it halted somehow, you know, that's a waste of energy. You know, put your energy towards people who are telling the stories that you want to hear, not the people who are telling the stories you don't want to hear. You always have an option of not even bothering to look at it. And there are people who will say even then, you know, but it's the principle, it's the principle. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. There, there is a principle there, but you know what? You know, there are plenty of people whose voices haven't been heard yet who are telling the stories that you want to hear. And I think once we start taking a hold of, like we're taking a hold of, of, I think, comic books, like we're taking a hold of literature, I think once we start taking a hold of film and film production, which is, again, my day job, Mm-hmm. Um, and I know because I look, I have, I write budgets. I go out and I shoot a lot. I shoot really nice looking stuff for very little money. A lot of people are, you know, look at our, look at our content. Again, God, you must, you guys must spend a lot of money on this. I know how to shoot stuff cheap and make it look really, really nice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and that's, I think once we are on that level, you know, we can start producing our own television, like really start producing our own series and really start producing our own films with our own money. Mm -hmm. We have a hundred percent control over it. And even if it gets to the point, we can distribute the work ourselves. Okay. Anywhere. You know, we can put, if you want to put a show on Netflix, I think it costs, well, they have a selection process, but 
Um, but you can anybody can submit a show to Netflix to get to to see if they'll accept it or Amazon or anything like that. Okay. You know, we've got to put more and that we this is this is this is the again the great time to be an artist right now. It's and it's a great time I think to be an African American artist where mm. you know we have the the technology and the ability to tell our stories the way we want to tell them. Mm-hmm. And we also have the ability to put it out there in the world for people to see. It's all about just doing it. And yep. that's, you know, and that's never the easy part. Getting this crap out of you is never easy. It takes uh-huh. a long time sometimes. Sometimes it flows out of you with inspiration, but sometimes it's just like, you know, it's hard. Mm-hmm. You know, we're creating and, and building something and, yeah, it's not an easy thing to do, but okay. it's not impossible. So, family, I'm looking at the website stopslaverywithtimetravel.com, stopslaverywithtimetravel.com, and then you can, of course, see the, uh, you know, like the brief write-up of the book, The Maximilian uh, Emancipation by Charles mm-hmm. A. Conyers Jr. Not related mm-hmm. to John Conyers, we don't think. And uh, <laughs> no, I did. I met him. Um, I interviewed um, Hank Johnson a couple of years ago. Okay. And um, briefly met um, John Conyers and Elijah Cummings. Okay. Actually, and a little bit of trivia: they are a lot shorter than I thought they were. <laughs> I mean, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like John Conyers looks like Mike. I mean, we may very well be. My dad always said that he's like a. He's like an uncle or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, you know, I'll be damned if he's not like my, my grandfather was a, a little man. So the, he reminded me of my grandfather when I saw him. I was like, oh, uh-huh. you're adorable. Now, we talked about, you know, the, 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 to me, the zeitgeist as far as the, this renaissance is we're projecting ourselves. We're fixing us in the future. There's a, a mm-hmm. comic book that I'm uh, waiting to come out uh Three brothers got together. Um, one has a site called willpowercomic.com. Uh, African-American brother over there. He has like several titles. You know, it's very cosmopolitan okay. over there. Then there's another one, uh, uh, Kid Hyphen Comics. Anyway, long story. Three, three, three you know, two hero, two artists got together with their, with their characters. And they put them in this universe. And then basically it's like a Doctor Who, Malcolm X, Iron Man kind of thing, you know, oh, happening. And so, yeah, and so there's some kind of, you know, fix it in, in the past and the future and the whole thing. So I, I dig that. And then there's other, you know, comics like, uh, oh, what's the brother? Uh, uh, Paul, uh, Luis Julie, who does um, uh, Johanse, which is kind of like a, it's a, I would just say a Star Wars inspired, you know, kind of comic universe. And like yourself, he did a lot of studying uh, amongst the African-American nations and history and stuff. And art in oh, particular. Awesome. And, uh, you know, great. he takes that African art. So his idea is, you know, let me produce, you know, let me world build with like a, a, a pre-colonial kind of African aesthetic. Okay, what if the Europeans you never go. came through? You there know you what go. I mean? And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, and so I'm seeing that kind of, I don't, I, I don't know what's the word, like unviolated kind of African aesthetic, you know, in, in some of the people yeah. that I'm talking to. 
And I think that's where we need to be. I think the more y'all y'all produce that, the more you kind of pull people in the right direction in the future. I mean, doesn't an artist have responsibility to the folk? I mean, we can't just be reporters, right? Isn't, isn't that what journalists are for? Well, you want to be able to um, not only just talk about the problems, but you also want to be able to, you know, talk about solutions. You know, I, you know, like this, this whole uh, the book series, this, the, the World Time Diaspora, there's, it's, it's going somewhere. There, there's, a, there's a reason why everything is happening the way it's happening. And, um, you know, I'll tell you that, um, you know, I think that, you know, a lot of the problems that we're dealing with in this country today, and I think a lot of what's informing the pre-colonial mindset of, you know, creating these new worlds, is the fact that, you know, we see past, I think collectively, at this time more than any other time, we're collectively seeing past the myth of white supremacy mm-hmm. and the kind of the bounds that has put on our society. Okay. You know, you know, when you start, you know, when, when you believe that nonsense, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to, you know, it's going to hold you back. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it's held this country back for a long time. And I think that, you know, things like Charlottesville, for example, um, okay. you know, a lot of the people who were protesting those, you know, those khaki wearing idiots, you know, there are a lot of white folks out there who do not like this white supremacist crap, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I don't, and I think that we need to acknowledge that as well. You know, this is this is this this crap is not going to fly anymore, and it never did with us. It never did, but I think that our voices now are louder. Mm-hmm. I think that our voices are not only just vitriolic, but they're more concise. Hmm. You know, I think we've heard. There's nothing that these adults are saying that we haven't heard a mm-hmm. million times. They're all working with 400 year old material, ideas. Nothing is new, and we all know it's garbage. So I think at this point, our reaction to it has changed. And, you know, look, I mean, there's a video floating around on Twitter right now of this Nazi kid getting knocked out in Seattle. Yeah, yeah, I retweeted that um, Yeah, (laughs) we all did. But you know what? And look, there are people. There are people that will say, you know, punching Nazis is not good. And I'll I'll say something that I tweeted myself. You know, you know what I think of when I think of Nazis in the Klan. I think of gas chambers and lynchings. Right. Now, if any, if that means anything to anybody, and you see a Nazi or some skinhead or some Klan dude walking down the street. That's going to trigger anybody who has half a brain. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I, you know, we, we can't help how people are going to react to that. There was a time in this country, again, there was a time in the 1920s, where the Klan was marching tens of thousands of people down the streets of Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. You can see, you can see um, photos of it on you. Google it. You can see it all there. That would never happen today. Because now there are ten, there's tens of thousands of people who are staring down at a couple of hundred of these goofballs 
you know, the, you know, the, the, now that, you know, that, that's something. The country's that, growing up. That's a good point. Now that is a good point. Bef- there was a aerial shot uh, related to the Charlottesville folks. If I, if memory serves where these cats mm-hmm. were like in like a gazebo or something. This yeah. is like during the day. It was some kind of racist rally. It happened during the day. All these cats were in the, the gazebo, and they were the, like the racists that was about to about to march. But they were surrounded by thousands of people mm-hmm. put out a perimeter by the police, aka slave catchers, yep. uh, by the police. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was so you so you realize, you know, like, like you said, and that's that kind of gives me, you know, hope. You know what I mean for this country because yeah. you know, let's be honest, man. If if you've been in a place for damn near 400 years and been treated like shit for 399. (laughs) (laughs) If the shit burned down, you might not shed a tear. You know what I'm saying? You might be like, well, they had a couple, you know, kind of thing. And I think that's a a cute little argument that is being made about the statues coming down. I think Trump said it. He said, you know, so what's next? Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. All right. Maybe. Sure. Hell fucking yeah. You know, I mean, come on. I mean, look, uh, right now, we're, what we're seeing right now, why we have Donald Trump in office, why we're seeing things happen in Charlottesville, stuff like that, because everything that's happening now is, this is a runaway train that's not going to stop. This country is getting browner. These people are now in the minority. These, these, I'm talking about the, the khaki wearers and the clans and the white supremacists and stuff like that. They're in the minority in this country for the mm-hmm. first time in this country's history. Hmm. And they don't know how to act. Mm-hmm. Well, they, and this is, you know, we're seeing white supremacy in its death throes. White supremacy, as far as I'm concerned, has been dead for a long time because I never, I never believed it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's silliness. It's nonsense. Um, but we're seeing this movement in its death throes, and we're seeing a lot of people reacting in ways that are that, that reek of desperation and fear. Because um, you you hear it. I mean, they say you know we uh, there was a study that just or uh, I think a Gallup poll or something like that that just came out where it said that you know the bulk of Americans don't believe in white supremacy. They re- they renounce it. They reject it. A substantial percent of those people think that you know uh, European culture is, is evaporating in America. Mm-hmm. They're they're afraid that their culture is going away, yeah. and that's when we kind of have to stop and and start to ask these people, "What is your culture? What do you?" Because if if if, it, if your culture is these Confederates, these traitors, then you're a fool, and you're going to be left behind. If there's something else that we're not seeing that you think that we're missing, we can talk about it. But essentially what you've got are people who are experiencing for the first time in their lives what true equality is. And that makes them feel inferior. Mm -hmm. Because their entire life they've had supremacy to fall back on. Mm -hmm. They've had a myth to fall back on. That myth doesn't work anymore. People don't buy it anymore. So when your kind of, I guess, your relevancy or the thing that you relied on is not there anymore, what are you going to do? You know, you don't have a job, not because 
Mexicans took your job, not because blacks took your job. You lost your job because the white folks that owned the company gave your jobs away to other people. Yeah, and, once and they can't face start, that shit, can they? They don't want. They don't want to. They can't look in the mirror and acknowledge lives. that shit. Nope. It be, it's because they've been told their whole lives. You know, it's the gays. That's why the culture is going downhill. Right. The blacks. That's why there's so much crime. It's the Muslims. That's why there's terrorism. Mm -hmm. It's you know, you're losing your jobs because of the Mexicans. And they don't say shit about y'all motherfuckers is running out of running out of excuses. They, nope. <laughs> you know, hey, look, we got rid of the black dude. Black dude's gone in the White House. Yep. He's gone. Mm -hmm. You guys want him gone? He's gone. I mean, he, he served his two years. I mean, his two terms. Uh -huh. um, elected twice fairly. Uh -huh. um, so now you, you were so vehement about how horrible he was. And now we have your guy. Your guy right. is in the White House right now. Mm -hmm. And that is the model of supremacy. Yeah. That is the yeah, model. You, you of guys voted of a billion. Well, I don't. I don't really think he's a billionaire. But let's just say a possible he's billionaire in yeah. the in the White House, yeah. uh, who who talks who talks and tweets like a spoiled frat boy who's yep. never got punished for any of his bad behavior. Yep. You, you know and what I mean? He hasn't. He hasn't. He and he's always. They've always used money to get themselves out of problems from mm -hmm. his dad um, kind of like skating out of his clan affiliation because, mm -hmm. you know, they wrote about him in the paper. He's I read paper. that article. He was at a clan rally. Yep. And, you know, now the, it never happened. You know, the housing discrimination thing in the 80s, mm -hmm. you know, they settled that out of court mm -hmm. because they can say we didn't lose that case. Right. And that's all they're doing. So, they, so if they didn't lose the case, they can then try to spin the narrative any way they want to. Mm -hmm. And I think what is kind of like a tragic thing for Mr. Trump is that he's realizing that his entire life of you know being a um, you know trying to you know playing the system that doesn't mm -hmm. work in government. None of that works in government. Those people aren't afraid of you. Mm. You know, Bob Mueller. Bob Mueller's not afraid of Donald Trump. Right. Bob Mueller has a microscope deep into that man's rectum, right. and he's going to pull everything out. Mm. And you know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to give my. <laughs> I, I have this. I have like between my family and friends. I have this prediction about where I see, who I see running the country by, by in the next year or two. Oh, okay. um, but I can I get I can an exclusive, that, or, or you want to keep it under your head? Oh, all right. All right, this is, uh, I mean, look, I, uh, look I've been following politics since I was a kid. My, I used to watch um, This Week with David Brinkley in the kitchen with my oh, mother. Oh, wow, okay, you're going up. back a ways, all right. So I, I like little political thought experiments. Mm -hmm. So this is one of my thought experiments. It's basically this Russia thing is going to take a lot of people out. I think it's going to take Donald Trump out. Hmm. I think it's going to take Mike Pence out. What? Um, I thought yeah. he was the I thought he was the guy they really wanted. Well, he's keeps lying under oath, so he's you know he's lied to the Fed a couple of times about meetings. That, I didn't know about those meetings, and I didn't know about that. I didn't know about Mike. Mike Flynn did what? I didn't know, and he totally knew. That's okay. it's all coming out. That's look, all these people are lawyered up. 
Mm-hmm. You don't get, lo- I mean, you get lawyered up. It's the responsible thing to do. But believe me, there, you know, there's issues. Okay. So, um, so basically, you go down the line. You know, Sessions is not going to last. Wow. He's either going. Trump okay. is either going to fire him or he's going to resign. Okay. Um, Paul Ryan is going to lose the speakership. Okay. And that's going to go to Nancy Pelosi. So you figure if all of those people get knocked out by the Russian investigation, the uh-huh. only person left is Nancy Pelosi, who may very well be the president of the United States. Wow. <laughs> That's a hell of a, a theory, man. Wow. I didn't know where you was going. I was like, okay, all right, so maybe. Huh. Huh. Now, again, this is, this is silly nonsense that I do. It doesn't mean anything. I thought. Hillary Clinton was going to win last year, so you take take that for what it's worth. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but no, this, this, this is, is interesting. This is Nobody's ever, do. yeah. People usually stop at Pence, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> inter- okay. No, there. Look, this is this thing is running deep. You know, I mean, there are a lot of people who I think um, got a little were a little too big for their britches. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who were inexperienced about what they were doing or what they were getting into. Okay. And I think a lot of people did a lot of very stupid things. And I and part of it is they don't care. Mm. And that they thought that they were going to get away with it. That's why when you when you really look at I mean th- these people are making bonehead mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, every time something comes up where was it recently the two lawyers were out at a public restaurant talking about this Russia case while there's a reporter sitting at the next table, a New York Times reporter sitting at the next table. Wow. It's just like, are you people, these are grown men who are so-called professionals in their field. Like, are you people stupid? Mm. I mean, but I just think that it's, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's hubris, narcissism. It's also the fact that, you know, I think that people think that you know, anyone who's close to Trump is going to be impervious to this nonsense. And Were you surprised when they let Bannon go? No. Really? No. No. Uh, no. I, I'm, I'm not surprised that they're letting anybody go. I'm surprised they didn't let Bannon go sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, because he was a cl- he's a clown. He's a failed movie producer. Um, George Clooney is a funny story about him. You can look that up somewhere online. But, um, I mean, so many of these people, Jared Kushner, he's a scumbag. I mean, these people are clowns. Mm -hmm. And um, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I mean, we had eight years of class and grace. I mean, you could talk about, look, there are certain things, foreign policy, you could talk about Obama, Mm -hmm. where, you know, you you want him to do more or want him to shut up or you want him, you know, there, there there are Obama's not perfect. Right. But that was a thoughtful, intelligent man. Mm-hmm. A good man. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, these clowns are in this for themselves. Um, I, I love the burn my hat, burn my mag, MAGA hat movement, hmm. where the Trump supporters are burning their hats. They're putting these videos online where they're burning their hats. Wow. And it's just like, dude, like, why are you people surprised? Every, t- every time something comes out about these clowns and people are like, did you think that? Did you imagine that? Like, I'm 45 years old. Mm-hmm. I remember Donald Trump when I was a kid. 
I remember Trump Castle Hotel and Casino. I remember Trump Stakes and Trump and Art of the Deal and all that. Mm-hmm. That man was always a clown. Yeah. Always. I never took him seriously. Mm-hmm. Like my mother, it's funny, I talked to my mom about it. She's, um, she was like, but, you know, on The Apprentice where, you know, they have that, they play that song and it's, he's so cool. He's walking in slow motion. I'm like, yeah, mom, you, you got marketed to, you got played. My <laughs> yeah. mom didn't vote for Trump. My mom did not vote for Trump. I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to say that. She did not vote for Trump. But she was saying that she, she really loved The Apprentice. She loved that show. Yeah. And again, I just couldn't be bothered because I just think he's a clown. But did I say that our, the president of the United States is a clown enough? <laughs> yeah, well, you, you're saying what a lot of people are feeling. And apparently with this burn the hat thing, uh, there's a lot of folk that are getting buyer's remorse. Uh, you know, I mean, I think we're awash a with symbols. You know, people are tearing down statues. Yeah. What does that have to do with anything? You know, That's people right. are still getting murdered in the street behind cops and you have your protests and they get arrested. You know, you wait half a fucking year and then they let them go free. You know, you can blow up Route Rushmore. I don't think that's going to affect that. Uh, you no, know. it's not. Yeah. Well, because we are going to have to. I mean, this whole as a country, we're going to have to do a lot of work on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um and it was another thing about um, about this book and the impetus of the idea, you mm-hmm. know, you know, because I look at, I, you know, I thought, you know, we needed some kind of event, like something grand that happened that just, you know, completely like people's paradigms shift. Mm-hmm. And when 9-11 happened, I was in New York when it happened. Wow. Um, you know, it was just like, oh, my God. I mean, it was, I, it was stunning. If I, and I, and I, I say this all the time. I saw those I didn't see the planes hit, but I saw the buildings on fire, like burning. I, and I just like if I hadn't seen it with my own two not two eyes, it was mm-hmm. it was it was shocking. You saw Tower so, One and Two on fire. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We were in the. It was, um, we were. I was. Uh, I lived in Jersey City at the time, and I was taking the uh, path train over. And um, we were under the. We were underground. Uh, there are two lines you could take. You could take the World Trade Center train. Or you could take the 33rd Street train. The World Trade Center train was great because you went, you right under the towers and you come up. There was like a Borders bookstore there, and it was beautiful, like you know, very old. Like it looked like you know, it looked like it did in the 70s. It was, it was still like you know, nothing had been really updated or anything. But it was like it was beautiful. It was amazing. It was a wonder to look at to walk outside and you looked up and you saw you know how tall those buildings were. So there were days I would go to the World Trade Center. There were days to get to work. I worked on, I worked uptown at the time. Mm-hmm. But I would either take the World Trade Center train or the 33rd Street train. And that day, the 33rd Street train came first. So I got on that and went in. And while we were in the tunnel, they had an announcement because um, the train had stopped. And it stopped for like five or ten minutes. And then the guy came over the announcement speaker and said, ladies and gentlemen, a plane has hit the World Trade Center. Repeat, the plane has hit the World Trade Center. Wow. And everybody, everybody in, my, in the car that I was in mm-hmm. thought it was some clown in a Cessna that just lost control of the plane, like some one-seater or something sure. like that. It just yeah. kind of like bopped into the building and ended up in someone's office. And you know, right. that's what everybody thought mm-hmm. until we got into the city and we saw it. And it was shocking. 
And for me, that was the kind of event, like the kind of paradigm shift event that I thought, wow, this is like people are going to change. People mm-hmm. are really going to like, this is going to shock people. It was like 3,000 people died in one day yeah. in this country. It was an attack on America. This is going to galvanize this country. This is going to, you know, this is going to be a great thing. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. It didn't <laughs> happen. People, after a couple of weeks of people smiling in the street, they just reverted oh, back you, to you, the Oh, you saw that too? Folk yeah. was waving and smiling. Yeah, yeah, I was in New Jersey in uh, in Willingboro, no. like the middle. Uh, Willingboro, no way. Yeah. That's near Mount where I grew up. Yeah, man, not too far. And, uh, you know, I remember driving into Philly to go to work. And, you know, the truck drivers and, you know, the, the white boys that pick up trucks always had a grit on their face or whatever. But, man... After 9-11, mm. them, them folks were smiling. <laughs> they was waving. <laughs> I was like, yeah, they, 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 they Back then, I have a different opinion now, but back then, I was like, yeah, them Arabs got you shook. <laughs> and all of a sudden, yeah. now y'all want to play nice? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no yeah, shit. Yeah, I got you. you yeah, know I cool off after a while. Yeah. I remember going into almost like the, the, the day or two. No, it wasn't the next day. The next day, I, I ended up staying at a friend of mine. A friend of mine lived on 44th Street at the time. And uh, it was two of us, three of us. It was like another guy who lived in Jersey too. We were stuck. You couldn't get off the island. You couldn't get off of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So um, we stayed at a friend's house overnight. And uh, one, I remember one of my friends just like, "God damn it! I knew this was. I've been reading the news. They've been saying shit about they can't find Bin Laden. They can't find him. And I knew something like this was going to happen. And that's when I realized that wow, I'm like really, like I'm not current." on what's going on. Like, and then really, I the last I heard about Osama bin Laden, you know, he'd been working for the CIA. And it was just like, wow, I'm like really out of the loop. And uh, that's what got me back into uh, into politics. There was a reason why I told you that story. Uh, oh, you <laughs> so doing that thing? <laughs> that's the yeah. same thing I do with my kids. Like, what was I talking about? <laughs> yeah, I told you what I said. But, um, but, oh, the galvanizing event. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I mean, so that's really what, um, that's really what kind of like helped me establish this kind of popping up in the middle of nowhere, like the slave ships just popping up in the middle of nowhere in the middle of America or in the middle of, uh, you know, modern day America, just kind of interrupting everybody's lives, you know, and, and being around for 9-11, being in the city at the time it happened, watching everybody respond to it, that kind of gave me a lot of, you know, ideas about how people react during something catastrophic, mm-hmm. you know, and that helped give me a, a bit of perspective and how to tell the story because when these Africans first arrived, in this country, the, the, the books, the book starts out, the story starts out very, you know, it's kind of like a day in the life kind of thing. You, you see this, um, it's basically this white family and this, the story takes place in the year 2041. Mm-hmm. And, um, basically the movie, the, the story, so see, I think of it as a movie cause I tried to write it, as a movie once, but mm-hmm. the, the story starts out as with, with this white family going to the beach and, they, you know, the kids are kind of a little more in sync with the world than the parents are. Mm-hmm. And um, the, even more, but even more than the dad, the mom has a lot of, you know, perceptions 
about uh, what she sees around her. You know, she when they get to the beach and she thinks that you know, oh, this is this place is different from when I was a kid. You know, there's mm-hmm. basically she's saying that there are a lot of brown faces. There are a lot yeah. more brown faces around than she's used to, mm-hmm. and that makes her feel weird. And her arc, as her name is Candace, um, that she's the mother in the beginning of the book. She, that's you know you you see her you don't that that's really the only time you see her in this book yeah you do see her she plays a, a a substantial part in the second book and in the third book as well um but that is a character you'll definitely see again but that kind of sets the tone for the world where you know it's browner this this country is browner it's uh, we have a uh, there's a Mexican president oh wow okay and um. And white folks are feeling more anxious than they ever have before, and they feel like not only that they're losing the country, but they feel like they've lost it. Mm. And what are they going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And that's that's pretty much how the story takes off from there. I thought this, you said this, this was whole... science. I thought you said this was science fiction. Well, it is. And <laughs> 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 yeah, that's you know it's the, it's the funny thing. Well, just like Ray Bradbury said, you take reality and you kind of turn it on its ear a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, and that's what that's what I'm doing here. So in, you know, instead of wondering about what this world will be like, somebody actually develops a time travel technique and goes about doing that very thing, goes about changing history. Wow. So, okay. Yeah, there is a... um. And as far as the title is concerned, so there's some people that um, ask, hey, what, is that? what does the title mean, Maximilian Emancipation? Yeah. The, the lead character's name, one of the lead characters, is named uh, Maximilian Oroko. He's a Nigerian um, you know, teacher. He, he, teaches, um, he teaches at a white school in Westchester, like a, like a predominantly white uh, high school. He teaches history. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of what's happened to him because there was a time when he was a very kind of well-known professor, prominent uh, yeah, African historian, um, linguist. Um, he you know, studied African languages. Um, he is involved in an incident that kind of sets him back a little bit. Uh, so he ends up teaching um, at this school. And um, he is, through a friend, um, who, a friend who is, uh, his name is Joseph, who was originally brought in when the Africans arrive, and they're, uh, the Africans are sequestered in the you know, Jacob Javits Center, and there's a team led by the um, Secretary of State who happened to be there in town for, at the U for UN Summit, there's, you know, the mayor, the governor, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people there trying to figure out what is going on, and they need somebody to speak to the Africans, so they um, get this um, uh, this professor to come in initially and something happens that he, where he decides, Oh, we need my friend Maximilian. We need him in here. And there's history between Maximilian and the, and the secretary of state. But that's, again, that's another story. Gotcha. So this, this, um, this uh, Maximilian goes in to reluctantly goes in to, um, to figure out what is going on um, to, and he ends up um, going to communicate with the Africans. His whole hang-up is he, um, you know, Joseph was trying to sell this to him as something. You know, you can give back to, you know, the, the people in this, you know, black folks in America. He doesn't feel any allegiance 
to um, black Americans because of how he was treated when he was younger by, you know, he was being a Nigerian immigrant in this country um, and being, you know, mocked and called names and not being taken seriously by other black kids. You know, mm-hmm. they, they looked down on him because mm-hmm. of, because he was from Africa and that always baffled him and puzzled him. And he just has no reverence for them whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's, so, that's, that's the origin story of every black, uh, Republican. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh shit, that's funny. <laughs> I'll show but, you. I'll yeah, show you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's and that's a shame. That's a shame that that's the default. You know, not only is that just a shame that that's the default emotion to go to, but uh-huh. it's a shame that it's happening at all. Yeah. That we don't know enough about our culture in this country that, you know, it seems so alien to us. And now I'm not, I'm saying us collectively an hour and us collectively, but mm-hmm. you know, you know, look, I mean, there, there were, I mean, I remember, um, in school, black kids picked on me. They called me like Oreo and wannabe and all that mm-hmm. nonsense because they thought I was trying to be white and all that crap. This is the way I talked or mm-hmm. because I was listening in high school, I was listening to the Smiths and the Cure. So, yeah, you know, I have a best friend uh, in co- uh, high school who listened to The Cure and uh, yeah. Cold, Crush, Cold Crush Crew or, or somebody like that. Yeah, and uh, Red, uh, Red, Red Wine. I, I get it. I understand. Trust me. Understand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot the reference. UB40 or whatever the guys are UB40, there you go. Yeah, I, but at you. the same time, I grew up with my parents' music. So I was listening to Motown and. Like, you know, my dad was a DJ at the time, so I was listening to Parliament Funkadelic, too. And, oh, wow. Okay. You know, there was a lot of that, like, LaBelle and all of those bands that had a lot of this, this kind of, like, Afrofuturistic thing going on mm-hmm. that I love. Like, you know, all the George Clinton stuff, the P-Funk stuff, Booty Collins, mm-hmm. you know, all of those, all those, but Bride the Funkenstein. Yeah, you know, it was just like black folks with robots and Egyptian imagery and all that stuff. It was really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I always wanted to see that, you know, and I and, you know, in in, in, in this book and in, in Maximilian Emancipation, it's kind of like the beginnings of that, because it's, okay. it's definitely uh, the, the futurism, especially when I start getting into the way, way, way future. That's where you start to see kind of where I'm going with where I see our country going, where I see the culture going. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You going to um, do a Bradbury on us? That's what you do? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, okay. absolutely. Right. Because I look, I you know, it's happening now. It's going to continue to happen. Mm-hmm. People like I like I was saying earlier, people are fighting, but people are fighting tooth and nail. They don't want this country to be brown. Right. But not only is this country going to be brown, but I think the world is going It's out. called karma. Motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> it's called karma. You go in their countries, drop bombs, right? And then you say, well, we're going to sneak them in here under false pretenses so we can get some cheap labor because they'll be grateful and, and, and the Americans is bitching too much. Okay, then. Well, guess what? They're going to start voting. And guess what? They're going to vote for their own folks. And guess what? Yep. You're going to be out. It's called karma. And and it's and it's a shame that people don't know enough about history. Yeah. And um and just to see and to even see again, I'm only forty five years old, but I you know, I read a lot of history and my mother mm-hmm. is also a student of history as well. So you know, my you know, my mother was a teacher, she suffered like over uh, two decades. Um 
But what goes around comes around. That's one of the things my mother always said. What goes around comes around. And you, I mean, God, you heard it when, um, when Obama was running for office. I remember there would be these, um, these little kids, these little um, white college kids that would go to the, the McCain-Palin rallies. Mm-hmm. And they would, I mean, they were, they were Obama supporters, but they wouldn't go in there under the guise of we're Obama supporters. They just wanted to get raw, unexpurgated response about yeah where they thought the country was going. Mm-hmm. If they weren't saying something really just like, you know, making gorilla sounds and, you know, you know, about Obama and like making like really obvious racial attacks, mm-hmm. go back to Kenya, he's a monkey, all that crap. Other mm-hmm. than that, which again, we've heard that a billion times. It's not, nothing new. Yes. Get some new material. But one of the things that they were saying is the blacks are going to be in power mm-hmm. and they're going to do to us what we did to them. Mm, they always had that. That's the that's really the basis. You know, what yeah. I mean, other than the envy, because, you know, it's, yeah. I, I'm going to I, pro, I said 40 minutes we're going to have a conversation. Now we've been talking for an hour. So I got to apologize <laughs> up front. You know what I mean? My apologies, brother. I know your time is valuable, but this is incredible because, you know, with, with JonathanSoul.com, I get into the mind of the artist. You know what there I mean? Anybody can pick up your book, you know, which I want them to do. I want them to go to Stop Slavery with TimeTravel.com. I want them to grab the book. I want you to go to Amazon, look up the Maximilian Emancipation uh, by uh, Charles uh, Conyers Jr. Pick up the book. I already got the little uh, Kindle joint. I'm going to get the paperback. So I want them to do nice. that. But you're not going to hear the mind of the person unless you come to black media, John Vassal in particular. You, you smell me? So, all right. So, 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 so before I lose my train of thought, because I'm 49 and my train of thought goes okay. quicker than the 40, uh, 44-year-old. <laughs> okay, so, so let me... Uh, so we're, so let me we're, yeah, there's a slight delay between us. But yeah, 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 slight delay, a slight delay. So... So this is the thing, right? Oh shit! I really yeah. lost my train of thought. Like seriously, oh, what were you talking about? Uh, I was. Country's getting brown. And then we said <laughs> karma. We we were talking. We were basically talking about um, you know the the world is changing world's and changing. there's uh, there are certain people who are incapable of. Okay, so the people that. went to the uh, went to the Palin McCain rally. They heard oh, how yeah. their cousins really felt about the situation. And uh, the yeah. country's getting brown. Okay, I got you. Okay, yeah, I totally forgot what I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, and Shit. but but that's very telling, you know. And you know, and I've always and I wonder if there's just a way to start that conversation like that to just say, look, we're not going to lynch white people. We're not. Oh, going that's to what it was. They think that people. they think that we're like them. <laughs> That yeah, we're vindictive yeah. and, and wicked like them. That's that's okay. I got you. All right, I'll let you go. Finish your thought. Yeah, ahead. we're we're not going to do any of that stuff. But you have to understand that we also are not going to believe in white supremacy because it's not real. It's right. it's a myth. It's a lie that has been told to you mm-hmm. and that you've been telling yourselves for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Part of that in the beginning was to justify slavery. Yep. Then over the years, it's been used to justify how the education system works, how real estate works, how mm-hmm. um, employment <clears throat> works, mm-hmm. um, how the legal justice system works, how mm-hmm. law enforcement works. It's the lie that 
spreads into every major institution in this country. Mm-hmm. And once that lie is completely demystified, and I think that's what we're going through right now, mm-hmm. and I think that you know there are a lot of white folks going through a very you know it's an existential crisis at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, there's kind of a little bit of a mild civil war where it's just like you have these alt-right white nationalist goons mm-hmm. who, um, you know, you know, I, I, I call them in the book. Um, there's a there's a scene where they're in a classroom. So you hear a bunch of teenagers talk. So you're hearing a little bit of the kind of language that they use. And one of the terms that they use is wine supremacists. Hmm. It's instead of white supremacists, mm-hmm. because that's essentially what these people are doing. You know, they're they're whining about oh, their lack you. of okay. relevancy in Clever. the world, mm-hmm. and you know, and again, it's you know, you, you're whining and complaining about something that was always an illusion. You never really had it. Mm-hmm. You were just under the um, the warm blanket of institutions that allowed that those thoughts to go on mm-hmm. but that's not the case anymore yeah so you know the you know the, and the white supremacists you know you have a choice you know you can either what they do in in the in the world of my book and which is actually a real thing this is based on a real thing where there are this group of white folks that are migrating up towards the the north uh, west in oregon and 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 uh, washington state parts mm-hmm. of canada they're kind of like building this kind of like this like white nationalist enclave mm-hmm. up this, and you know they're kind of it's almost like a forced secession or you know you know they're never going to anybody who talks secession again, you're not going to readjust the economy of this country just because you don't want to have be around gay marriage or you know Mexicans working mm-hmm. next to you, you're not going to change this country for that. You know, um, because the people but, of the, who own the economy don't share your politics. That's exactly right. And <laughs> even if they do, but even if they do, the system works against them. The mm-hmm. system that they built, you know, for more, what do they call it, a more perfect union? Yeah. You know, that system that they built is now antithetical to the, this core ideology of the white supremacy myth. It always mm. has been. Mm. But again, you know, people corrupt the system. The system does not corrupt the people. Gotcha. So, you know, when the system is allowed to play out unexpurgated, uninterrupted, mm-hmm. that's when you start to see things happen. So a uh, just system is Joe Arpaio being indicted. Was he indicted? Was he, um, he was, um, I thought he was jail. indicted and convicted, but indicted. Trump overturned it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's where the system is corrupted. Mm-hmm. Because okay. Trump interrupted that entire thing. You have people in the Justice Department who are outraged yeah. about that. Yeah. You know, because that is, that is the system being interrupted and corrupted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just have to work more at getting, you know, these ideas out there. I, I, I always talk about getting more people involved in politics. I think that it really starts with planting seeds of thought. Mm-hmm. And if telling little science fiction stories is a way to get some kid 20 years from now thinking, mm-hmm. I think I want to try to do something, then, you know, that's, 
that's what it's all about. That's that's yeah. that's really what good science fiction should do. Mm-hmm. You know, it should make you think about you know things that you never really gave much thought to, yeah. and maybe help you walk in another person's shoes. I mean, look at when you look at a movie like uh, remember Alien Nation? They made that it was a movie. They made it into a television series. Sure. Is basically about a you know, for those of you who don't know it's a group of uh, alien like an alien spaceship uh, crash lands on Earth and um, inside the ship are like hundreds or thousands of, of, of these alien beings and it turns out that these alien beings were slaves so this spaceship ended up being a slave ship mm. that crash lands on Earth and mm. these these alien slaves that then become integrated into our society. So the alienation story take, picks up maybe 10 or 20 years after the aliens have been integrated into our society. So they're just like, just like some of us, they're just like, you know, living like we are. Mm-hmm. And there's bigotry against them. They call them flags, you know. Okay, you got an excellent in, in, memory. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a nerd. That's what <laughs> I do. And, you know, th- th- but that is a roundabout way of telling the slave story. And in in my case, it's pretty much the same thing, except that instead of using aliens, uh, District 9 is another thing. It's a a spaceship that crashes. Awesome. Uh Yes, it was. Awesome. It's the same kind of concept. Yeah. Except instead of using aliens, I'm using actual, these are Africans. Yeah. This this, this is the slave trade. This is the slave trade. America's shame right in front of you Mm -hmm. for you to deal with and for you to confront. And that's another. Thing. I don't think the, I don't think pe- people don't know enough history. They don't know about enough about um, things that happened in this country. Because I think if people really understood what what was going on back in the day, I, I think that I think that generally speaking, we'd have a, a, a far better conversations about this crap. And I think that we'd be on the path of writing some of this this nonsense as opposed to getting into this echo chamber loop of the same crap the same the same conversation over and over again you know black folks offer some criticism and then white folks say i've never owned slaves i never used the n-word and then that's the end of the conversation yeah you gotta take the you gotta you have to take it farther than that and i think that we're capable of taking it farther than that i think mm-hmm. you know we have to have a little more patience to talk these issues out and to really be more specific and not be so abstract. People don't, people, people today aren't thinking in terms of slavery. They, they don't, that's too, it's too, I mean, especially when you read about the history and things that happened, it is a long way from where we are right now. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, we just have to be a little more contemporary in our conversations and, um, well, I, I tell you, I, I tell you, Charles, I don't mean to interrupt, but I tell you, I, I feel like we're in a time now when we we have to be very specific. And I know you are. And this is just, you know, just me coming from my my perspective. And I respect what you what you laying out. I, I feel like the conversation that we need to have right now is amongst ourselves. You know, um, yes, I don't think right. that there's no type of facts and figures that's going to uh, have you know, your average typical you know, white brothers just to say, yeah, you know, we, you know, I mean, it's just, I just, there's, there's no conversation to, to me when it comes across on that regard. I think the conversation mm. we need to have is, okay, Charles just put out another book. 
Um, the number two in the series is coming out, you say, the summer of 2018. Yes, Right, so That's the right. second, the second book, the companion book to uh, the Maximilian uh, Emancipation is coming out summer of two thousand. We need to have a conversation about okay, let's buy it. We're gonna form the the sisters used to have a sister circle back in the day where they sit in the, <laughs> the little coffee shop and they all talk about the chapters they read. Pre- we need to have those kind of conversations about supporting each other. And so That's once right. enough, you sell enough books, you're gonna take that groovy film skill you got, and then you're gonna do that first, you know, fifteen minute pilot. And launch it on, on, on the interwebs, right? And so then it sells, you know, then it's really hot. And anything we into, here comes the other folks. You know, I mean, like I told you, you know, you know, as soon as we get something hot, they want to find out what's going on. So we just do us. You know, the conversation yeah, they need to have is us. Reprogram us. You know what I mean? Fuck also, them. Let's focus on us. Yeah. Let's circle the wagons. You know what I mean? And, and then I feel like we're going we gonna to get the kind of trajectory that we need. And and we also need to, as much as possible, you know, try to keep it ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, if we have intellectual property that sells, we should be able to make that money. You know what I mean? I think, it, and I think that goes for, you know, it only goes for black folks in this business and in, 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 in entertainment or, or the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes for every artist. It doesn't matter, you know. It goes for for women, you know. You know, this this is a time where, you know, like I was saying earlier, the arts are democratized. You know, we have an opportunity to tell our stories. And look, you know, um, you can also you you said hip hop earlier, and that's absolutely true. I'll give you another example: it's punk rock too. Mm. You know, it's. Four chord jams. It's in your garage, hashing out some shit on your guitar, and you know, then you got the Ramones. Mm-hmm. You know, it's awesome. But you can go back even further. It's this guy in the basement of his house recording some of his friends. You've got Motown. That's how Motown started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Stax Records back in the day. That's another thing. These like mom and pop places that ended yeah. up turning up. You know, Booker T and EMGs. And mm-hmm. Otis Redding, you know, um, you know, those people were found, you know, at little small independent shops because at yeah. that point, at those points in history, the arts were becoming more democratized. So mm-hmm. at a certain point, it was easier for people to make records. It got easier for people to make records. You know, in the 90s, you could say it got, got easier for people to make movies. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, it's a lot easier to do whatever the hell you want. Right. You can express yourself in any way possible. Mm-hmm. You can do it affordably if you do it smart. Yeah. And you can get your work out there and you can get it seen. Now, I mean, I know from my standpoint, look, I don't have, I, I can't afford to hire a marketing team or a social media team mm-hmm. or any of that stuff. The stuff that I deal with in my day job, mm-hmm. you know, I make a project, then I, then I hand it off. I've got editors that put it together. I've got effects people and, and graphics people to do all that stuff. Then there's mm-hmm. a team that puts it on social media that does all the copywriting and all that stuff. Yeah. For the Maximilian Emancipation, not only did I write the book, I designed the cover. I laid out the book. Wow, I had okay. to create the like four different ebook files. Mm-hmm. Um, I built the website. 
I all the little stuff you see on Twitter that I put out, like little like little ads and stuff. I designed all that stuff. Wow! It's okay. and it's all by myself because yeah. you know, and that's a part of it too. You have to be a little entrepreneurial in this case as well. So mm-hmm. it's a lot more work, you know, for an artist. But you know, really, if you if you love it and it's what you want and you have something to say. And you're just going to do it. Yeah. You know, it took me nine years of commuting back and forth from Nyack, New York to New York City every day. Um, uh, basically two hours, uh, 90 minutes going to, 90 minutes going home. And I had sliced little little slices of time away. I, had, I hacked away at this first book in this series. And basically wow. almost pl- plotting out the entire universe and the next two books as well. Mm-hmm. And it was just every day. If I got some days, I got a paragraph written. Some days I got three pages written, but it was just every day hacking away at it. Beautiful. And, you know, because again, I have a day job. I can't stay home and say, I'm going to write for eight hours. I'd love to do that, but I can't do that right now. Right. So, you know, we have to, <clears throat> we have to figure it out. We yeah. have to figure all this stuff out. We have to figure out how we're living our lives, how we can introduce our art and our passion in our lives, still do what we have to do, and still put out good work. And like you said as well, we need to support the work that's out there. Not exactly. be too concerned. Again, I have to go back to this not, no Confederate thing. Mm-hmm. But not don't be so concerned. Look, those folks are going to do what those folks are going to do because right. they have the money, and they are telling the stories the way they relate to them. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't know what those two, the Game of Thrones dudes that are making that show. That's how they relate to that story. And you know, they could say they're hiring black writers who got the people from Empire to write the series and stuff like that. Yeah, that's, for that's, cover. Oh, again, yeah. all well and good, all yeah. well and good. Yeah, but it's. You know, if you if you want to be technical about it, it's still really not our story, right? Because I don't know any of us that would think about if, if the South lost the Civil War, we would continue to be enslaved. I mean, if you know anything about history, you know. I mean, there were raging insurrections all the way up yeah. through antebellum period, all yeah. the way leading up to the Civil War. Mm-hmm. To if you're going to tell me that there were three civil wars before black folks had tried to break away from slavery, I tell you, you're out of your mind. Right. But I, that's just, if they're going to tell that story, I, I'll admit I'm interested in seeing how that story plays out because I personally, I can't see it. But, mm. you know, as a creator, I'm not, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to crap on other people's work, especially work I haven't seen yet. Uh-huh. So You're taking you know, a Dave Chappelle approach. When he, when now you no, okay, the cat, no. the cat from, uh, <laughs> it's not like the no, cat from, don't uh, even go there. Don't, don't even go there. there. <laughs> don't even go there. <laughs> you know what I was about to say, right? No, no, no. No, no. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Uh, okay. I, can't, I can't, can't give you that, sir. Okay. That? All right. All right. All right. I'll leave it well, there. But I will there. say, I will say, I, I understand where, I understand why you said that. Uh-huh. Um, but again, I'm just going to say. Yeah, it's you know there were com- there were black comedians when Michael Richards came out and had his little N word meltdown. Yeah, and you know there were you know Paul Mooney of all people 
came undefended um, Michael Richards. Mm-hmm. And said, you know, that's not him. I've known him for years. And blah, blah, blah. Right. And my whole thing is, y- you may have known him for years, but that was him. Yeah. So, you mean, you know, look, I, you, you can't, you can't bullshit a bullshitter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You, there's a certain way that people say things, and especially in certain moments when people say things. And if, because I know I've been angry. I've mm-hmm. been angry at, there have been white, there are white folks in my life, people, people I love very much. Mm-hmm. I've been angry at. The last thing that I think of is saying something about them being white. Yeah. You know, there are, and again, there are white folks in my life that got, that were mad at me and I never heard anything, anything about me being black coming out of their mouth. So I understand. Mm -hmm. So for people to say it was out of anger, I didn't know, bullshit, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that is what that's in there. It's in there. Whether or not you accept or wanted to accept it or wanted to acknowledge it, that's your problem. Mm-hmm. But, you know, don't make excuses about why it just slipped out. You know? True. Don't make excuses. You, yeah, make excuses. Just, accept, yeah. just accept it. Now, yeah. if you, there's something you want to change in yourself, mm-hmm. great, work on it. But yeah. don't say things, oh, it was, it was just, you know, that's not in my heart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If anyone was offended, yes. give me a break. Because you know what? Because <laughs> yeah. you know what? Uh-huh. There are a lot of things. Like there are a lot of things that can be said to some of these people that they would not like. The mm-hmm. the the ones who are you know look uh, you know again we're we're in a time we're dealing in a time when there are certain white folks who think that blacks are going to enslave them and. Uh, and do to them what they did to what they did to us. You know, that's the mentality. Mm-hmm. So, and, and again, and I and I do and I do want to say because we've been talking a lot about race and stuff like that. I think it goes mm-hmm. without saying that not every single human being, not every single white person is a person. Not a, just like not every black person fits into these stupid stereotypes. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? If we are going to do something about race in this country, we need to start having more mature and direct, honest and blunt conversations about it. We need to start taking myth, conjecture, and all this other nonsense out of it and start to be honest and really talk about things, talk about behaviors. We need to be, you know, again, you know, I see a lot of black folks in media, in the news, politicians, things like that, who are putting themselves out there more than in any other time in this country's history. Mm-hmm. They're being heard. Mm. Their actions are, are, be, are being effective. You know, and there, there, is, a, there is an absolute fear um, playing against, you know, the progress of black and brown people in this country. Mm-hmm. And you know the, the the trick for us is not is going to be not reacting to it. That's mm. going to be the trick for us because you, we're used to reacting to it because it's just stupid and we and it pisses us off. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just right. like you know again with this crap. When we start just swallowing, there's understanding. 
okay, we've been dealing with this for centuries. Let's, let's attack this a different way. You know, I think we've, you know, I think the more we start using logic, the more we start just becoming a little more zen about things and mm-hmm. using logic and reason, you know, these people are going to run out of shit to say. They're mm-hmm. already running out of things to say. So now they're, you know, that's why you've got all these rallies and marches with tiki torches and stuff because they're just mad. Yeah. And their and their and their boy in the White House is not living up to his promise either. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they definitely know. getting we, squeezed. They definitely getting squeezed. Listen, man, I don't want to I don't want to keep you uh, for all night, but yeah. So, uh, so just let, let's just remind people we're talking to the you know the incredible, the insightful, the yeah. thoughtful Charles Conyers Jr. He wrote yeah. uh, the first book in the series. Uh, sci-fi, Afrofuturistic, I think is is is, is what the term people are using now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we should we should just use the term funkadelic. I think that'd be better than yeah, Afrofuturism. I like to be. that. You know what I mean? But funkadelic the book, thriller. There you go, funkadelic thriller. That's what I'm talking about. The Maximilian <laughs> Emancipation uh, is the first book in the World Time Diaspora uh, series. Uh, it's written by Charles Allen Conyers Jr. Uh, just tell the audience where they can find you on social media, where they can pick up the book. Absolutely. Well, you can go to um, stopslaverywithtimetravel.com to find the book. Um, information on the book, I have a uh, you know, newsletter that I'm going to be sending out very soon. Um, you can like drop me a line, drop me, um, register for the, uh, for the newsletter, all that stuff. There's going to be you know, news about the book and all that stuff as it's wrapping up, I'm getting it out there. Um, you can also go to Amazon, you can go to iTunes, Kobo, uh, you name it. I tried to get it out there as much as possible. So, and there's also, um, on Twitter, you can find me at this Chacon. So it's the word this is. C H A C O N. So it's this is Chakon. And um and then you know, you can find me on Facebook and all that good stuff too. But yeah, um give it a shot. Uh give the book a shot. I think you're gonna have a good time. It's a fun story. Um you're really going to you're either gonna love me or hate me for the second book <laughs> <laughs> because it's already I'm just like, ooh, wow, I don't know how people are gonna respond to it. But I think it's 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 really I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think people are really going to dig it. So that's cool. people are and digging the, this book so yeah. far. So mm-hmm. fingers crossed. Excellent, excellent, Mr. Conyers. It's been a pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Yo, family, what's going on with you? I hope y'all dug that interview. This is Jonathan Soul speak with you now. I want you to support my brothers and sisters by following them on social media. And going to their website and picking up that product so we can stop focusing so much on issues and start focusing on building industry. For more episodes, go to JonathanSoul.com, J-O-H-N-A-T-H-A-N-S-O-U-L.com. And of course, I'm on social media. I'm on uh, it's Jonathan Soul at Twitter, Instagram, uh, Tumblr. Uh, subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on uh, SoundCloud. And um, I'm over at uh, Black Spot as well, that terrific Facebook competitor. Listen, family, I love you guys, and I want all your dreams to come true. And my dreams can't come true without you, and yours can't come true without me. So let's support each other. 
and let's build this thing together. I love you guys. Peace and love to you and your family. Till next time. Yeah.